Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you uh, enjoyed, you know, your time of rest and celebration and fun. How, how many of you traveled for Thanksgiving holiday? How, how many of you traveled? L- lift it up. My hand's up. Yeah, I traveled. Oh, not, not too many. Okay. So you, you kind of say, look, how many of you ate turkey? Come on, we'll get most of you on this one. Yeah? All right. How many of you ham? You don't do turkey, you ham people. How many of you are both? Yeah. How many of you are neither? You eat zebra or something? I don't know what you eat your house. Snake? I don't know. Rattlesnake? Yeah. Well, well I, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I, I'm sure um, that you have some holiday traditions that you do with your family. Uh, I know that we do. And I love to hear people's holiday traditions because, you know, they're, they're kind of all over the board. They're, very, they're as unique as each family is. Uh, you, may, you may know this. You, you, if you're new to Kingwood, you may not know it. We have a holiday tradition at Kingwood Every year, we put on a giant Christmas play for our community called the Gospel According to Scrooge. That's what you know the set behind me is. And so about this time of year, 19th century London starts to take over everything that we do. By the middle of December, the ushers will be speaking with a full British accent. Everything just starts to roll that way. I, I was amazed a couple of weeks ago, I went on a backpacking trip... And I was listening to people around the campfire one of the nights. And they started to tell Scrooge stories. And I thought, oh man. And then they start to speak in a British accent. you know. And I'm thinking, what is happening? Like we're out here in the woods with all these you know, Londoners. You know, everything's... And I thought, man, this, this thing really is deep with us. 31 years we've been doing uh, this, this play. And here's what's interesting. In that amount of time, we've never talked about the deeper meaning of the play. So this Christmas, we're going to take this series, and uh, we're calling it Bah Humbug, and we're going to talk about the deeper meaning of the play. Now, the play's based on a Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol, published in 1843. Now, we have a few characters in our play that weren't a part of the original book. Uh, I'll show you a couple of them right here. Anybody recognize these guys? So, so their name is Riff and Raff, and we still don't know which one is Riff and which one is Raff. But, but here's a couple of characters that are in our play that didn't make the original. And then here, here's a couple of more. Uh, over here, this is Fiddly, and this is little old Liza Doolittle. Who knows little old Liza Doolittle? Yeah, little old Liza Doolittle here. And, of course, Riff and Raff, I think, are in every, every picture we have. Of course, the central character to the play is old Ebenezer Scrooge. I think Pastor Mark's actually been playing that part since 1843 uh, when it was written originally. He, he has been Scrooge nearly all of the 31 years. A uh, hundred years later, after uh, Scrooge, was, this character was developed, uh, Dr. Seuss made a similar uh, character named the Grinch. You know, it's this idea of this uh, stingy, greedy, grumpy, selfish, heartless, cold-hearted person. Uh, whether it's called Scrooge or Grinch, it's the same idea. Scrooge's least favorite time of the year, of course, is Christmas. We all know that. Every time he hears the words, Merry Christmas, he says, Bah! Humbug. Under his breath, sort of like an involuntary response, kind of like when you say, Gazoot high, when somebody sneezes, or if you're at Chick-fil-A, what do they say? My pleasure, yeah, okay. That's kind of how Scrooge does it. Whatever bah humbug means, it was Scrooge's absolute favorite phrase. How dare you even think that you know anything (laughs) about me? I'll have you know, young man, 
that I use the word umbug because it perfectly, absolutely, and precisely fits what I think of the situation. Well, um, would you give a great big welcome to Ebenezer Scrooge? He's here this morning. Good to have you here today. Oh, ah. okay. All right, all right. No pleasure to be addressed by the likes of you, <laughs> especially as you speak here in front of these half-wits <laughs> speaking your religious musings and fabrications. Humbug it is. So, so you're saying humbug actually has a meaning? Well, of course it has a meaning. I waste my words on no one. My good opinion, once spoken, is not easily retracted because it's the absolute truth every time. For your information, the word is, is a very, very popular word in civilized English society, unlike your American backwoods. <laughs> it's a useful term that should be spoken more often. So, so what does it mean? Well, bar is just my opinion of you having to have this conversation with me. <laughs> Humbug actually means fraudulent, misleading, deceptive, the work of an imposter. Sir, Reverend, Christmas is a fraud. Everyone knows it's nothing more than material consumerism of unnecessary stress. <laughs> and certainly, certainly, unmet, unreasonable expectations, all wrapped up in religious tradition. So much for peace on earth, Christmas joy, goodwill toward men. It's enough to make a man regurgitate. Well, uh, Mr. Scrooge, I was hoping you'd, what, won't you at least stay for the service? Why should I? It's humbug. It's all humbug. Ebenezer Scrooge. Bah humbug is the word used in 19th century, in the 19th century English, to describe uh, things that were misleading, deceptive, fraudulent. Scrooge believed that Christmas was a fraud. Imagine that. His miserable, lonely, wounded life had colored the entire world around him, and all he could see was a world of uh, imposters. To him, Christmas was all fakery. Now, most people aren't quite as cynical as Scrooge, thank goodness, uh, at least on the outside. But sometimes we, we don't believe that Christmas is a fraud. We just celebrate it like it is. So what does Christmas mean to you? It's time off work. That's good. Everybody can use a little rest. Time with family and time to exchange presents. It's time to eat sweets and to have a feast. All of those things are good, but if that's all that Christmas is, isn't it really then a fraud? It's just pretending to be something that it's not. Maybe we shouldn't call it Christmas. Maybe we should call it Winter Vacation Gift Feast. Not Christmas. Or not Christ Mass. What really is Christmas? Christmas isn't a fraud. Christmas is one of the greatest gifts 
that God ever gave to humanity. So this morning, if you got something to write with, I want to give you three things that Christmas is. Since it's not a fraud, number one, Christmas is a celebration of joy. In one of the early scenes of the play, uh, one of my favorite scenes, Ebenezer Scrooge's nephew uh, says, Merry Christmas, Uncle Ebenezer. And, his, and, his, and, and he says, bah humbug. And he says, well, surely you don't mean that. And he says, well, of course I mean that. And he says, how can you be so merry when you're so poor? Because Scrooge thinks that the key to happiness is wealth. And I love his nephew's line that exposes his faulty thinking. He says, how can you be so miserable when you're so rich? In other words, if that was the answer, then you'd be happier. Several times Scrooge makes this famous statement. The acquisition of wealth is the foundation of every self-made man. Once that is in place, everything else in life can be built upon it. Build your entire life on acquiring wealth. I think that we have different words for that today. We call it the American dream. And if you can just secure the American dream, then you'll be happy. But that's really the fraud, isn't it? There's a lot of people that have secured the American dream. Have you seen the stats surrounding Americans who've won millions of dollars in state lotteries and other kind of gimmicks like that? Well, let me, let me share a few with you this morning. National stats say 70% of million-dollar-plus winners are flat broke in 10 years. 70%. They just, they just cut through it like water. And over half say that their earnings made them less happy than they were before they won. So that sounds more like a fraud. But material blessings are just that. They're blessings. They're not requirements for a joyful life. They're blessings. There's a, there is a satisfaction in working hard and enjoying the fruit of your labor. But sometimes life isn't always cause and effect. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 through 10, listen to this. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil... Some people, uh, listen to this statement, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. So what Jesus said is true. You can't serve God and money. There will come a fork in the road. Some people have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Man, that is a, that is a powerful statement. So where does the joy come in? Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust Him. Joy doesn't come from material sources. Joy comes from trusting God. Joy comes from having a real, personal, daily relationship with Jesus. The greatest joy I've ever known in my life was not when I got 
financial relief somewhere, not when the pressure came off, not when I got to do something I always wanted to do. Because to be honest with you, when you get done with it, a lot of times there's a little empty feeling wondering, I wonder what I can do now. But the greatest joy that I've ever known in my life has always come as an overflow of my relationship with Jesus himself. How many of you would say that's true in your life? Would you say that's true? During the first Christmas, when the angels appeared to just humble shepherds in the field, that was the message they brought. Listen to it again, Luke 2, 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good, no good news, listen to this, that will cause, what's the word, great joy for all the people. What news could an angel possibly bring that would result in great joy. Listen to it. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. That's where the joy comes from. Christmas is a celebration of joy. The second thought is Christmas is a celebration of giving. Scrooge hated charity. <laughs> He assumed that any smart business person would keep as much of what they've made as they possibly could. Why would anybody waste their money on the poor, Scrooge thought. And when Scrooge is confronted by the reality of people suffering, he, he has this famous line, he says, Well then, they best be on with it and decrease the surplus population. Uh, let me translate that into kind of modern American philosophy that we too often believe but we won't say out loud. I got mine, let them take care of themselves. My needs are met, I worked hard, I got an education, I did what I could do, now it's, it's, it's up to them to do what they can do, right? Scrooge's attitude was the very same thing. But what, let's listen to what Jesus says about giving. Matthew 5, 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Acts 20, 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is kind to the poor, listen to this phrase. This doesn't appear, I don't think, anywhere else in the Bible. Whoever's kind to of the poor lends to the Lord. I feel like that's a pretty safe debt. Whoever gives to the poor lends to the Lord. And God will reward them for what they've done. Giving is the equivalent of lending to the Lord. You know one of the reasons that we chose the partnership in Honduras that we did is because it's one of the poorest countries in the world. And we saw an opportunity to make the biggest difference we could make in that location. Honduras is uh, extraordinarily poor. When you hold a child in your arms who's been abandoned on the street and has no mom and no dad and no family and no Christmas family or Thanksgiving family to gather around them. They only know the love of their house mom at the orphanage and the kindness of strangers like us who show up every now and then and bring gifts or something. When you hold that child in your hands and you feel their heartbeat 
And you can feel their breath coming in and out of their body. And you know that you have a little life there. It'll change your perspective on what's really important in the world. It wasn't um, last summer we were in Honduras. And we were finishing up on the last day of the you know, work site. And they always put a team of guys who are from Teen Challenge to help uh, do the construction work. And there's always a language barrier, you know, we don't know, most of us don't know Spanish, most of them don't know English, and so we just learn over the week. It's funny how you can communicate without language. You get to know each other a little bit, you learn to trust each other, and at the end of the week there was this guy, I, I looked down at his shoes and I asked him about his shoes and um, through, a, through a little bit of a translator, uh, the shoes he was wearing was the only pair he owned, and they were... Um, Sort of like those little slip-on shoes you'd buy at Dollar General for about $6. And he was working out in the mud all week in them. And then at night, because they had service every night, most nights, he would go into his room and clean them up real good for church. And then he would go to service at night. And that's, that's it. And, uh, and so I had these shoes with good traction. And so I went to him when it was over and I said, hey, I, would it be okay if I gave you my shoes? And he said, oh, I'd love, because we were about the same. He said, oh, I'd love that. And so I went over and cleaned the shoes and went to give them to him. I gave him my gloves, gave him some. Here's what was awesome, though. As we gathered around that little, um, you know, little work site area, there was one water hose. That was it. And that's where everybody cleaned their shoes. And you know what was awesome to watch? On the last day of the work site, there was a big, long line at the water hose with people from men and women from our church cleaning their shoes off so they could give them to the people that are there before we, we left. That was, I think Jesus is right. Like I had a better feeling in that moment than I've ever had when somebody gave me something. It really is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now I think you should use wisdom when you give. I think you should use wisdom where you give. In an overmarketed society like ours, there's always scams and there's always charities with high overhead and absorbent salaries and all of that. And look, we all get tired from time to time of maybe the bell ringers outside of Walmart or the phone calls asking for Christmas donations or the GoFundMe pages that pop up and we say, you know, how, how can I possibly give to all of this? You can't, but don't let that callous your heart. Don't let your heart grow cold this Christmas season because Christmas is a celebration of giving. Just make sure you use wisdom. Giving's not a humbug. Selfishness is. Now, there's a lot of ways you can give. Give compliments. Give a kind word to someone who's discouraged or, or lonely or frustrated or, or down or struggling. Let people in front of you in the checkout line. That might be one of the best gifts you could give at Christmas, right? Especially at Walmart. They have 32 registers and one's open. I don't know why. I don't know why they build the other 31. I promise you, if you have someone in line behind you and you say, hey, I've got all this stuff, you just got a few things, why don't you go ahead of me? You know, you have any idea what that would do? A person, that, a person doesn't understand that kind of kindness. You can give time. You know, it, it took last year almost 400 people 
to make our Scrooge outreach work. I bet if you looked at your schedule, you would have an hour or two that you could give to this outreach and make a really big difference in somebody's life. And you, all the information, the sign-up for that is online. You can find it there. You can also give to local ministries in our community, like Oak Mountain Mission or uh, Mana Ministries. Or there's a, there's a host of great ministries right here in Shelby County, and they're always overloaded at the Christmas season. And, and, and you can give your time there. You can give someone an invitation to Scrooge. And if you do it the right way, it'll be well-received. Like if you really care about them and you're not just trying to get them here, it'll be well received. You, you can give fellowship. Man, there's a lot of lonely people. Americans are the loneliest people on earth. Just giving your presence to someone, your full attention. Not talking about yourself the whole time. But looking them in the face and asking them about their life and getting invested in them and spending 30 minutes over lunch or something with somebody, you can't imagine the gift that would be to some people. You could give prayer to someone. When you see a need, if you just simply stop and say, hey, can I, is it okay if I pray for you? And offer a prayer. You can give a meal. Man, a the, the comfort and the blessing of a warm meal offered in love. There's, how many of you like home cooking? <laughs> it's just nothing like, right? The stuff at the restaurant, it's just not, I think they make it in a laboratory. You know, it's just not the same. Home cooking, man, stuff that sticks to your rib. You, you know what I'm, you just ate Thanksgiving. You know what I'm talking about, right? Home cooking. There's so many different ways that you and I can give. Christmas is a celebration of giving. I encourage you to look around this Christmas season. Don't make Christmas a fraud. Don't make it just about getting and what we can have and how much more we can get for our family. That's not, you're not celebrating Christmas. You're celebrating something else. Look around this Christmas for what you might be able to give back. Here's the, here's the third and final um, point. Christmas is a celebration of hope and faith. In, in one scene, Scrooge says he wished Christmas didn't exist. Well, think about that for a minute. What if Christmas didn't exist? What, what if Ebenezer Scrooge got his wish? I know Christmas has been commercialized, and I know it's been mishandled in a million different ways. And if we were honest this morning, there's some of us in this room who are actually dreading Christmas. Sometimes we dread Christmas because it overpromises and it underdelivers. It's supposed to be this incredible, you know, high point in life, and sometimes we just are left feeling empty and disappointed. Sometimes we dread Christmas because it can add more stress than peace on earth. You know what I mean? Sometimes we dread Christmas because it reminds us of what we don't have. Man, the last thing you need to do around Christmas is get on Facebook and camp there. Because you will see everything that everybody's got and it'll all look better than what you got. 
And if you're not careful, you're going to have Facebook envy. You're going to see all the presents and all the toys and all the meals. And look how big their family is. And they're all smiling. You should have seen them before they took the picture. They're about to kill each other. Everybody can fake it for a Facebook picture. Right? They got problems just like you do. They're just not going to post it on Facebook. And the ones that do, that's a whole other thing. We, We don't even have time for that. Sometimes we dread Christmas because it amplifies loneliness, addiction, and fear. Some of you this morning may be dreading Christmas because it reminds you of someone or something that you lost. All of these are valid feelings. All of these are valid feelings. Maybe Christmas forces you and I to slow down and look inside a little bit, and that's why we dread it. Because it forces us to face some things that we can stay living at a speed that we don't notice. Christmas is a celebration of hope and faith because none of those valid feelings are the final answer. That's the good news. Christmas is a celebration because of the incarnation. If you don't recognize that word incarnation, the word incarnation just simply means it's when God became a human. It's when God sent His Son Jesus from heaven, he left heaven and he put on a human body and he became a little baby and he grew up and became a human man. And he walked on the earth and he did miracles and he taught and he, and he, um, and he served and he ultimately sac- sacrificed his life and he died for us. The word incarnation means God becomes a human so we could know him. So, so we could find joy, so we could live forever. What if Christmas never happened? The world would be plunged into darkness and humanity would never really know who God is. Then there'd be no hope. Christmas, Christmas is not a humbug. Christmas is a celebration of joy and giving and faith and hope. And I don't know how, isn't that right? I don't know how you celebrate it, but I hope it's something like that. And if you don't, you can. By some counts, there's more than 20 um, titles, names for God in the Bible. I, I think, I think my favorite one is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. It's the word that Jesus, the the title that was phrased over Jesus' life. God with us. There's a reason when Jesus went to leave the earth and he had walked with his disciples for three years. I mean, nearly daily. And he, he knew those men. He knew their hearts. He knew their thoughts. He knew what they'd be feeling in his absence. And one of the very last things he said to them is, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Emmanuel, God with you. I think God knows the frailty of the human heart. 
And he knows how quickly we feel abandoned and neglected and alone. And God, where are you? And why is this still going on? And why is it this changed? And when are we going to see a breakthrough? And when's something going to be different? I think God knows how frail the human heart is. And he knows that's how our feeling. So he tells us over and over and over again, I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am in your corner. I am for you. I am not against you. You are my my son and you are my daughter and I have pledged and coveted my life to you and I'll always be with you Emmanuel I love I love the um, I love the thought God's gift to you is his son Jesus and he's with you so we're gonna start Christmas off now and then, and then when we get to the end of this Christmas season at our Christmas Eve service, we'll talk about Emmanuel again. And I'm hoping that there'll be a little umbrella of Emmanuel stretched over your life this Christmas season. Would you just stand with me for a minute and uh, our worship team's going to come. And we've got this, uh, maybe you've heard this song, Emmanuel, but we've got this uh, rendition of it. And we're going to sing the whole song. And here's what I'd like you just to do during the song. Two things. One is, whatever you need, let me say it this way. Wherever you need Jesus to be present in your life this morning as we're singing, will will you yield that to him? And we've been saying this every week now for weeks. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? As we sing this song together, would you just begin to worship? Would you close your eyes right now? With your own voice, would you begin to tell them, Lord, I love you. I love you and I worship you. God, I praise you today. Come on with your own words, with your own voice. Just begin to turn your heart toward him. Turn your mind and attention away from everything else. Say, Lord, I look to you now. I look inside where you meet with me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I know that you live in me today and I love you. I love you and I worship you today. I love you and I worship you today. I love you, Lord, and I worship you. I bless you. I love you, God. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for Emmanuel. Thank you for Emmanuel. Come on and just thank him. Lord, I thank you for Emmanuel this morning. As you catch the words, will you just sing this song with us? Oh, come, oh, come,
eye closed, please? And would you just open your heart? Someone ask our prayer team if you'd come this morning. With nobody looking around today, boy, the holidays are such a um, different time, and uh, there's so many people in need at this time. I wanted to offer you an opportunity to pray today. So, you know, what, what, are you, what are you pressing up against this Christmas? Maybe it's the loss of a loved one or an illness, tense relationship, a layoff, crushing debt, illness in your body. Do you have a need today? The worship team in just a minute is going to sing that song through again. Here's all we want to do. We want to just give you an opportunity to pray. Because we believe that God's presence changes things. And when you pray, you welcome God's presence into the situation. That's what happens. So this morning as the worship team begins to sing, if you need prayer, I want you to come and let one of our prayer team just minister to you today and let the presence of God fill your heart. So uh, come on, go ahead, worship team. Come on. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, 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 Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Shall come to thee, O Bless you. Glad to see you.